Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Twitter's, <clears throat> excuse me, Twitter is at Pete Callender. Sorry, I just drank some, uh, <laughs> just drank a little bit of water with electrolytes, and that's apparently <clears throat> real professional, Pete. Anyway, on Twitter at Pete Callender, on Getter at Pete Callender, and uh, also remember, get the podcast. It's totally free, right to your smartphone or tablet at WBT.com. So the North Carolina State Supreme Court heard oral arguments yesterday, as did I, although I'm not even on the court, but I heard the arguments, too. I watched it. And um, it is now up to the the seven judges, four Democrats, three Republicans, and uh, they will decide whether or not we will vote on the maps uh, or using these maps that the lawmakers drew. And I thought this was interesting. There's the... uh, the article by uh, Brian Anderson at WRAL, quoting Michael Bitzer from Catawba College, political science professor, and he's making a prediction, and this is one of those things that I've said it's one of the laziest forms of journalism. I don't even really count it as journalism, but they asked him, what do you think is going to happen? And he said, after watching oral arguments on Wednesday and reading the court filings, Bitzer believes the four Democratic judge, uh, judges yeah, have reached a consensus that the new voting maps Republicans approved are excessive party uh, partisan gerrymanders. Okay. So he's already made that. He says that's clear. That's the determination. And by the way, there is a pressure campaign right now on the judges to rule against the maps, to rule against the Republicans, and to uh, to do the Democrats a solid here. Because if they don't do it now, then the democracy is lost. The problem that the defendants, the pl- or the plaintiffs rather, the uh, the people who have sued, this is the left-wing groups like uh, the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters, Zach Schoff was their attorney. The problem that they've got is that they cannot articulate when is it too much partisanship. What What is the standard? And to quote Roy Cooper when he got sued for drawing racially gerrymandered maps, when he was in the legislature, uh, he talked about how the standard is so nebulous that you basically have to keep drawing and get sued and then redraw and get sued, redraw, and then, okay, that's that's you know too much. Oh, that's not enough. It's like this Goldilocks approach to drawing the maps. And for and what the uh, the defendants in the case, the General Assembly, the legislative defendants, their argument is, look, you've got to give us some standards here. You can't just say this is too much. This is extreme without outlining what is the standard by which you are judging that to be too much. In other words, what's the consistent standard? What is permissible partisan advantage and what is impermissible? Kate McKnight is an attorney for the legislative defendants. And she argued that nobody has drawn a line on where permissibility is. Where's the line? And I, and I beg the court to look for a definition of extreme partisan gerrymander anywhere in case law, in the lower court's opinion. It will not find it. And it certainly will not find it from plaintiff's case. I need to make one final point, and, and that is in response to a question from Justice Irvin, who identified the 99.99% figure. Plaintiffs are fond of repeating the phrase 99.99%, but what 
the, the, the academic, the mathematician who came up with that figure claims is that no matter how he changed meaningful inputs to his computer program, the enacted plan still came out as this 99.999% outlier. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another theory when a computer analysis spits out the same result, no matter how many changes you make to meaningful substantive inputs. Mm -hmm. Maybe that analysis doesn't work. Right. Maybe the program is crap. Seriously. You ever consider that, guys? Maybe? Like, if everything that you do, all the inputs you, you enter, none of it changes the outcome, maybe your algorithm is garbage. The other attorney for the legislative defendants, Phil Strack, noted that there is no definition of extreme gerrymanders what is extreme there's no definition and the plaintiff's own experts provided no guidance on that your honor uh, the plaintiffs have not presented an articulable standard and to say that um the the maps don't comply with the will of the people we we would re respectfully submit that that's a circular argument we you you don't know if they don't comply with the will of the people unless you know that they're quote extreme because some permissible partisan intent is allowed. Where that skews away from the will of the people has to be defined. Now, this court could certainly take a stab at defining it, but our argument is, is that respectfully, that would be the court legislating, that would not be the court engaging in a judicial determination. Right, so the circular argument is, we call it extreme, so therefore it's impermissible. Why is it impermissible? Well, because the standard is it can't be extreme. Well, what's the standard? We don't know. But that's impermissible because it's extreme. What is it? Don't know. Strack said no court in North Carolina has been able to provide an answer on what an extreme partisan gerrymander is. What criteria should be used to determine such a thing? If the court believes it can divine some standard... Uh, that, that no other court, uh, no other appellate court in North Carolina has ever done before. It's going to have to legislate the result because it's, it's got to provide an objective standard or rule that the legislature can follow. It's not just enough to say, oh, just follow the will of the people. There's got to be some definition uh, to that. And so, uh, Mr. Strack, before you move away, let me get you to talk with me a second about this is Judge Irvin. something that you just talked about. And I want to get a little more definition from you as to what you meant. Uh, you've said a number of times that if the court developed a standard, it would be acting legislatively rather than in a judicial fashion. Is it your contention that any time the court enunciates a legal standard for the first time, it is impermissibly legislating? Uh, no, Your Honor, uh, not not at all. But the the nature of the beast that the court's dealing with now, these redistricting, the court's going to have to make several policy decisions that do not currently exist. It's literally going to have to create them out of whole cloth in a way that a legislature would normally do. And it's going to be doing so on a topic that is already politically charged and highly partisan. Right. This is judicial activism you're going to have to write the standard you're going to have to say this is where the line is on using partisan data too much or if you've got 
X percentage of districts that are, you know, most assuredly going to be won by one party over the other. This is the percentage in comparison to something else, whatever. You've got to write it down, give us some guidelines, and you got to tell the General Assembly, here are the rules. And that is creating policy. But that's what the left wants the court to do, because it's the only way that they're going to be able to get control of the General Assembly so they can run through their agenda. That's the whole point here. All right. The plaintiffs in the litigation suing over the legislative redistricting maps, they keep citing the North Carolina Constitution's free elections clause. I'm going to read to you the the, the free elections clause. Okay? Don't worry. It's, it's one, two, three, four, five uh, words. It's five words. It says, all elections shall be free. That's the clause. <laughs> all right? So this is the argument that they're saying, you can't draw partisan gerryman- extreme partisan gerrymanders because the Constitution says all elections shall be free. Now, they also started throwing in the word fair, free and fair, free and fair. And then newbie, the uh, chief justice, he points out that it doesn't actually say fair. It doesn't appear anywhere in our Constitution. The left wing went nuts over that, but I'll get back to that. Then there's this other part where you hear them talk about the Equal Protection Clause. That's Section 19. It's law of the land, equal protection of the laws. And it talks about how no, uh, no person shall be taken, imprisoned, or diseased, not diseased, but diseased of his freehold, liberties or privileges, or outlawed or exiled or in any manner deprived of his life, liberty, or property, but by the law of the land. And then the next sentence here, this is the key. No person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws, nor shall any person be subjected to discrimination by the state because of race, color, religion, or national origin. This presented an opportunity or, or a line of questioning for Anita Earls, who had sued the General Assembly uh, for years in her private practice life um, or working for the, the left-wing uh, uh, nonprofits, that she was making these arguments for years, and now she's on the bench determining, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just guess that she's going to determine she's been right all these years, and so now she's going to enact uh, the law from the bench. That's just my prediction, not that it has any value whatsoever. Um, so this free election clause, but oh, Anita Earls then later on, and I have that audio too, hopefully I'll get to it, but she, she talks about maybe partisan ID or politics, political affiliation, maybe that should be a protected class too. Hmm. Should that be a protected class, everybody? Does that mean then that we could also have protections against, like, actions taken against Trump supporters? Under the law, you could file discrimination cases? I'm listening. I'm not sure they're really aware of the <laughs> of where that goes. Anyway, uh, on this argument of that the free elections clause can be used to negate the maps, Phil Strack, the lawyer for the, uh, the General Assembly defendants, he said that the clause is general and... It, it, it's just, it's vague. It just says, all elections shall be free. The free elections clause is just general, vague language. And so the court would have to craft a standard out of whole cloth. And the problem with doing that in a case like this 
is the court would have to make a number of policy decisions in order to give the legislature an actual rule, an actual standard, like that would be objective, like the Stevenson rules, which are very objective. They easily are followed. Um, th th this court would have to say, legislature, here's how we're going to define partisanship for you. Here's how you measure partisanship. Is it going to be statewide elections? Is it going to be lo local elections? Is it going to be elections in the past two years? Is it going to be elections in the past 10 years? Right. And by the way, I just saw this. Mark Elias, who is the Democrat lawyer hired by the Eric Holder group that is funding all of these lawsuits in the Republican states. And uh, he not only did he join the Maryland defense of the Democrat gerrymandered maps up there while suing Republicans for their gerrymandered maps. He's now celebrating the New Jersey uh, Supreme Court that just intervened in order to protect Democrat gerrymandered maps as well. This is what it is about. There isn't, like, just so we're all clear, like, this this ruse of, uh, of independent redistricting commissions, that's all that is. It's, it's a lie, folks. It's a lie. They don't want independent redistricting commissions. They will accept them if that's the only compromise that they can get at this point, and they'll work on gaming them later, but... The point is to get power. That's the purpose. Um, Phil Strack says he does not expect the plaintiffs to help the court out on any kind of a definition on this either. The court, for instance, there's a lot of talk about cracking and packing of voters. This court would have to provide guidance to the legislature. What does that actually mean? Uh, do you have to uh, unpack certain voters to not crack others? And, 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 and what, what do those terms mean? Um, what's, a, what's a fair map look like? What is a map that actually, quote, complies with the will of the people? Is it, is it uh, a map that uh, complies with proportional representation? How do you measure that? Do you use the efficiency gap? Do you use the mean median test? Do you use a declination test? Uh, and if you use any of those tests, what, what, what does the legislature have to do to make sure it has a passing score? Uh, under those. And so, uh, and, and, and how will the court define what is extreme versus permissible? Right. So the, he's, he's not making an argument for or against any of those types of measurement tools either, any of those standards. He is simply pointing out that the court is going to have to make those determinations. The court is going to have to set up a standard. If they pursue this path and they go down this path, which it According to Michael Bitzer, he says, yeah, it looks like they're going to go down this path. Looks like they're going to they're going to pursue this. If that's the case, then they're going to have to come up with a standard. And that is, by definition, creating policy. And that's not what courts are supposed to do. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I'm going over the oral arguments that... Uh, the uh, the plaintiffs, which are the left-wing groups that sued over the redistricting maps that were drawn by uh, Republican lawmakers and the defendants, the Republican lawmakers, uh, that they heard in the state Supreme Court yesterday. Um, Phil Strack is the attorney representing the legislative Republican defendants here. And uh, he talked about, and so did uh, his co-counsel, uh, Kate McKnight, uh, they talked about the reliance that the plaintiffs have had on these computer simulations. As if anybody has just, you know, paid attention to the COVID modeling train wreck. Um, 
As if we needed any further sort of reminder of over-reliance on these computer simulations, but he says, like, this is, this is a pretty dangerous path. There is a danger of relying on computer simulations to dictate what is and what is not a gerrymander, he says. Again, this is Phil Strack, legislative defendant attorney. In the Senate Guilford-Rockingham County grouping, the evidence is undisputed that Democrats drew the districts uh, in that grouping. All right, hang on. Democrats drew the districts in this grouping. And I'm not going to get into all of the details about the groupings and stuff, but this, like, there actually is very little that the, the state lawmakers can, can do to move these lines around because of all there are other case law and there are constitutional provisions and such. And so there are rules that they have to follow, and one of them are, is called the groupings, also referred to as the clusters. And so the, these groupings are already sort of court-appointed or court specified these are the groupings and so drawing inside of these groupings is pretty limited well the democrats drew the groupings in this guilford county grouping they drew those lines listen to this and they they drew those districts they also stood up on the floor and said that they were fair districts and there was nothing wrong with those districts nonetheless the simulation the computers say that those are partisan gerrymanders (laughs) How can that be true? That can't be true. How can it be true that uh, districts drawn by Democrats are allegedly pro-Republican gerrymanders? Just because the computer says it, it, the computer can't measure the human element. The computer doesn't know that Democrats drew those districts. It can't distinguish or tell uh, and, 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 and assess the human element of that. And that's what the trial court was saying. They were saying, look, you, you can't take the human element out of this. These this this mathematical stuff doesn't get it done. And in our opinion, the simulations are not ready for prime time. They they can't they can't help the court figure out how to deal with the human element of redistricting versus uh the the the, the, the political element of, of redistricting. In the in the Senate Cumberland Moore grouping, um the districts that were drawn by NCLCV, which are, of course, a plaintiff in this case, uh, are identical are identical to the enacted maps. <laughs> so, so, so the, the maps of a plaintiff suing over the maps are identical to the enacted maps. Right. But the enacted maps are allegedly a pro-Republican gerrymander. Well, does that mean that the LCV maps are a pro-Republican gerrymander? Yeah. Well, so the computer's telling you, yeah. It's pro-Republican gerrymander, but the, the LCV maps are the same. That just can't be true. The, the computer simulations are going to lead the court uh, down, a, down, a bad, down a bad path. The same is true in the Iredell-Mecklenburg Senate grouping. Uh, they challenged Senate District 37 as an extreme partisan gerrymander. Uh, but the NCLCV map is nearly identical to the enacted map. And so... They were trying to draw a pro-Republican gerrymander. I just, I don't think that's obviously, that's not the the case. Right, so when the computer model is telling you that these are Republican gerrymanders, but the maps were drawn by Democrats, what does that tell you? By the way, can you see why they hate Phil Strack? (laughs) Can you see, or can you hear? Can you hear why they hate Phil Strack and that they, and why Governor Cooper had the Board of Elections fire his wife uh, off of the Board of Elections. She was in charge. She was the head of the Board of Elections. And they fired her because of who her husband is.
Well, yes, she was also a lead investigator for the Board of Elections when uh, Governor Mike Easley got in all the trouble for the corruption. So, yes, that too. So, um, Strack says all the evidence that the plaintiffs rely upon is computer simulations. That is what they are using, and that is alluring on the surface, but destined to cause the court more problems than it can solve. And how do we know that? Because, in our opinion, respectfully, the damage to this court has already begun. The mere possibility that this court may strike down the redistricting plans has already led some in the public to start treating the court like a legislature, not a court. Some groups are literally running ads lobbying this court to throw out the enacted districts. In a CBS News article posted January 25th, Meredith College political science professor David McLennan made this observation about the situation. What we're all experiencing, this is a quote, is the increased emphasis on the courts as being a political operation. The courts are seen as partisan as the legislature and the executive branch. So I think people are just approaching the court system so differently. They're talking about court cases as if they were bills in the legislature. Mr. Strzok, isn't our obligation to read the state constitution and give effect to its provisions, whatever the public may or may not think about that? That's Anita Earls. Your Honor, uh, we don't believe that those provisions address partisan gerrymandering, and apparently there are members of the public that think that if this court does, uh, that, that, that that won't be fair either. And so... Uh, the, the court has why, an obligation. Why is that a valid consideration for us? The court, the court has an obligation, Your Honor, uh, to, to interpret the law as it's written. It also has an obligation to protect the reputation of the court. And it's clear that already people, because of the even the existence of this case, people are already beginning to uh, review the court. As another partisan actor on a partisan stage, and this court has the ability to make sure that that doesn't happen. And nothing in the Constitution. Thank you, Mr. Strack. I'm afraid your time has expired. All right. So, that, and that's how uh, their the, the legislative defendants' oral arguments ended. The plaintiffs they get a second bite at the apple, if you will. They get to do a rebuttal. I've got a couple quick uh, clips from that. We'll get into. First, let's get into a traffic report. Here's Boomer Von Cannon. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Stanton Jones, one of the attorneys for the plaintiffs, one of the uh, liberal groups, argued that uh, they do, in fact, have a standard. So the defendants keep saying, oh, well, there's no standard that we can look at, and they're not telling you what standard that the court can implement here. And Stanton Jones says, no, 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 we do have a standard. Listen. Our standard is partisan intent and effect, not general fairness, not proportionality, not some generalized will of the people test. It is partisan intent plus effect. The trial court found... Thank you, you, counsel. Your time has expired. All right. Partisan intent and effect partisan intent and effect now there's no way to determine intent because the computer doesn't detect that right you have to assume based on the effect because there isn't any indication in fact the lawmakers said when they were drawing the maps this time around they said we're not using partisan data took it right off the table so the democrats that are suing say, well, you had partisan intent, but there was no evidence of partisan intent. Now, you can say there's evidence of partisan effect, but that doesn't prove the intent, necessarily. You have no direct evidence of intent. 
Zach Schoff. He is the attorney for uh, one of the other plaintiffs. He then argued, uh, well, the same thing. He tried to make the same case. Oh, no, no, no. We, we have a standard, and it absolutely can be defined. Again, nobody here on the plaintiff side contends um, as proportional representation would require that when Democrats win 53% of the vote statewide, they should get 53% of the seats. That's proportional representation. But a party that routinely wins 53% of the votes statewide should not be systematically condemned to minority status. That's the injury we complain of here. It is the systematic destruction of majority rule. And that, by the way, is also the test we think this court and the General Assembly should apply going forward, that the party that wins more votes should have at least a fighting chance to win most of the seats. And by the way, that is much... By the way, what, is the, what does that mean? How do, you, how do we delineate what is a, quote, fighting chance? He says he has a standard, but then he says you should have a fighting chance. What does that mean? Is a fighting chance greater than just a chance? Or is it less than a chance? What's a fighting chance? Do we need like one of those like Homeland Security threat matrix charts, you know, with the different colors and like, oh, we're in fighting chance territory now. What is the standard? Define it for me. This is what I mean. At the very beginning of the program, I started off by saying, what does fair mean? What is a fair map? And a fair map means different things to different people. In this case, he's saying it's a fighting chance. But there are other people that are going to say, no, 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 it's not a fighting chance. It's we should have more seats. We should win more because that's fair. We got more votes totaled throughout these districts. So therefore, we should get more of the uh, the total seats. Never mind the fact that, you know, maybe there were votes that were uh, not cast by Republicans because they didn't need to turn out because the district that they live in is a solid Republican district. So their guy won. They didn't feel the need to turn out. See, this idea that you are measuring the peop- the will of the people simply by those vote totals, that's not necessarily the case because every one of those districts are different and the candidates are different. And the candidates matter. Much the same as what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did under its own free elections clause, where it held that, quote, all voters should have an equal opportunity to translate their votes into representation. And it it applied that. I I, I hate to interrupt you in rebuttal, but that's a free and fair election clause, correct? Uh, That is true, but both clauses derive from the 1689 English Bill of Rights, which referred to only three elections and was... We have free, we don't have fair. They have free and fair, correct? Uh, that is true, but this court also has the Equal Protection Clause, which Stevenson interpreted to require substantially equal voting power, substantially equal legislative representation, and equal representational influence. So we think you get to the same place. Right. So this this became, and still is, I'm literally arguing, who is this guy? Jeff Rose. He is the uh, chairman of the Buncombe County Democratic Party. Um, I'm like nine minutes ago having this argument with him on Twitter because he is echoing the same lie that Progress NC put out, this left-wing organization, Progress NC, which if they couldn't lie, I'm not sure that they would actually have any kind of comms uh, department at all. Um, They used this exchange that you just heard to attack Paul Newby, the chief justice. They said, according to Chief Justice Newby, North Carolina voters should not expect elections to be fair. And this guy, Jeff Rose, said much the same 
hearing Justice Newby just now say that we have free, we don't have fair, uh, we have free, we don't have free and fair. Because that is what Newby said. Here, I'll play just a isolated portion here of the That's exchange. That's a free and fair election clause, correct? Uh, that is true, but both clauses derive from the 1689 English Bill of Rights, which referred to only three elections and was... We have free, we don't have fair. They have free and fair, correct? Uh, that is true, but this court also has the Equal Protection Clause. All right, so that exchange, they're, they're saying that, oh, see, he doesn't think we have fair elections. Not what he said. What he was correcting was that the plaintiff's lawyers keep saying free and fair elections. But that means something in jurisprudence, right? That When you say that, because in our state constitution, I read to you the state constitution, the clause, the free elections clause, where it says all elections shall be free. That's it. That's all it says. So we don't have a free and fair elections clause. And that means something. Now, the plaintiff's attorney is arguing about equal protection and how it's basically the same thing and you get to the same place. But what Newby is pushing back on is like you're trying to conflate the Pennsylvania state constitution and their free and fair elections clause with North Carolina's free elections clause. And they are separate. Now, if you want to argue on the equal protection aspect, the equal protection clause, then you can argue that. But that's a separate line of argument. And when you when you conflate through your choice of language, you're muddying the legal waters. And that's what he was correcting that attorney on, saying not that we don't have fair elections and not that we shouldn't have fair elections and you shouldn't expect fair elections or anything like that. He was talking about the language of our state constitution. But these idiots at Progress NC and the Buncombe County Democrat chairman, they're like, Oh, newbies talking about how you shouldn't expect elections to be fair. So because I am a giver, I pointed out that they were morons. And uh, I said, you know, you know that uh, the point he was making, you recognize this, but you don't care. He's pointing out a language difference, and they're like, well, I don't think that changes anything. Is it? Of course it changes things. The, there are laws attached to the words. And then they shift gears and say, so you agree with Newby? We have no right to fair elections? Like, oh, my God, you people. So Newby didn't make that statement, nor did I. But I applaud the consistency of bad faith accusations.